Coming to you pre-recorded from a cramped closet in Las Vegas, Nevada, and a New York City apartment far too close to the street. It's your favorite millennials with too much time on their hands. Welcome to the Red Team Reviews Podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Red Team Reviews Podcast. I, the voice you are currently listening to, am the voice of TJ Patrick, joined as always by the, and I don't give a fuck what he says, the Magneto to my Xavier. Oh, I am totally fine with that. Yes. Because uh, that means I'm right. Um, <laughs> um, it just means that you've on multiple occasions advocated for literally eating the rich on this podcast. Yeah, and your <laughs> and point I is? I am canon pacifist, so literally. <laughs> yeah, I don't understand what you, what the problem is. This is exactly what I hope for. Literally just this season, you've had a problem with a lot of my little inter- introduction. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but this one is fine. I yeah, am fine. It's also being... kind of the only one I have, really. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, cause like, I'm not sitting here trying to like fuck your girlfriend or anything. So we can't be Wolverine and Cyclops. Um, you think so... you're Wolverine? <laughs> no, <laughs> not <Okay>. at all. <laughs> uh... <laughs> I mean, because of anger management issues. I mean, I, I am probably just Wolverine by default. <laughs> No, you you picked the best one. You picked the best one. Yeah. But are, we're we're doing the thing again. The thing that drove us crazy in September. We're getting a bunch of one comic book iterations out of the way. Yeah. We chose this. We chose this. We chose this even after having done Spider Man, and we still chose this. I think this is going to be more fun. Um, because Did you actually say who you were. Oh, Trevor Catalano. Okay. Hi. Um. <laughs> Um, uh, this was. Originally, I think this is going to be more fun. <laughs> this was originally supposed to be the DCEU, and I kind of, I'm wondering, I'm like, is this better? <laughs> I think a little bit. It's like it's the difference between it's the difference between being flabbergasted with dumb choices and anger, because like, yeah, the characterization of these movies is very much just like, man, 2000s Hollywood did not give a rat's ass about like source material. And so they made a lot of loopy fucking choices that like today, as we approach what will probably be the third trial in the next, you know, it's going to take another like three years or so because of contracts and stuff like that. But like, they're going to try again and it's going to be Marvel this time. And so like, it's going to be interesting dissecting like one iteration that was a supposed like full arc and then another iteration that got like tied in and then concluded, like got concluded because the rights were bought back by Marvel. So they wanted to kill it. Like it's a, the X-Men stories meta wise is a lot. It's very interesting to talk about. And these are beloved characters, but I don't know, for some reason, more people like these movies, even though people are wildly out of character through most of them. Anyway, I know a lot about X-Men. When you say these movies, you mean specifically the three we're talking about today or all of them? I think all of them in a way, because I think that when Fox tried to essentially soft reboot and then tie it back in, they tied themselves to their original choices. It wasn't a true reboot. Um, so like inherently everything is just a little weird and complicated. So 
yeah, it's going to be really interesting to talk about. And like, I am not sure if this is part of your plan, but like, I have a history with X-Men comics. So, I mean, uh, my knowledge of X-Men is a little bit more like symbiosis of just like, I know so much of the gist that I basically know about as it's about like how people kind of just let me not say people how nerds tend to kind of absorb Dragon Ball Z even though yeah like I've never watched a shred of Doctor Who and yet I kind of get it right um and like I kind of I know the gist of Wolverine and I know the gist of Cyclops and I know the gist of Jean Grey and like all these things uh obviously Wolverine more so than the rest because they picked a favorite and fucking ran with it but like and we will never fucking escape it and I kind of oh. um, I'll, I'll say more about that uh, Okay so <laughs> oh. I think we're not even like fucking are we 5 minutes in <laughs> I actually, I think I heard a blood vessel pop in your, in your, in your, I don't know, in some part of your body. I wouldn't um, be surprised. The Mario trailer dropped yesterday, so all right, I'm, my, I'm weakened. <laughs> I'm in my weakened state right now. Um, God, my whole sense of confidence being shaken by fucking Chris Pratt and Illumination. Uh, anyway, goddamn Nintendo company. So, um. Oh so yeah, your history with X-Men. My history with X-Men is probably just very basic in that like I was aware of the 90s cartoon. I wasn't like over the moon about it or anything like a lot of other people were. Um and then like games, there were a ton of games in like the early 2000s and like yeah. late 90s of like the uh SNES games. I well, I know I played one SNES game. And a couple of, like, the GameCube games, I think. Uh, I mean, it, it is one of the most classic arcade fighter games ever as well. Um, although, I don't think I played X-Men the one. arcade one. But, I, I mean, Marvel vs. Capcom kind of speaks for itself. Um, a lot of staple, like, X-Men characters are involved in, the, in those games. Well, until, like, recently because of... More corporate bullshit. Like we should have like a, a like a soundbite or something for like. <laughs> I really think we should. We have. Uh, I have a friend who does a Jane Austen podcast. Uh, Jane Austen podcast. And anytime they talk about uh, the economics of dating in Jane Austen's world, they have a little tone that they do, and because they talk about it. it basically, every other episode. Um, so we absolutely <laughs> should have a corporate fuckery. Corporate fuckery. Ringtone. I'll let you. I'll let you work on that, TJ, and, oh, and insert God. it into the episode. Um, it only took us two years to create it. Right. Um, <laughs> well, all we had to do was talk about Spider Man for a month, and then we were like, "We yeah. need a thing for this," because <laughs> it's gonna keep on coming up. Because uh, that's how movies get made. Um, is that is that all your history with it? Um, basic, and I mean, obviously, these movies. I mean, that's like the really big, yeah. obvious one of just like, yeah, like. You know, when I was young and dumb, I just saw Hugh Jackman as Wolverine and was like, yeah, sure, I'll buy it. Um, oh, how the winds of change swept through <laughs> the the village that is my mind. Um, 
well, so so for me, these movies were my first, but I don't I think that I absorbed them the same way that I like absorbed the Spider-Man movies where I was like I was young. I was in the same way that I was like Transformers. Yay. As a child. And now I'm like, what the fuck? Um, but what I think like was the turning point for me was not long after this third X-Men movie came out. I got a hold of like my local library in my tiny, tiny Illinois town outside of Chicago uh, had mostly in their library of like the graphic novel, like the the compilations uh, were Onslaught and uh, Age of Apocalypse, like the big 90s arcs of X-Men. And that was where I like really got introduced to a lot of characters. And the funny thing is that like, that was also how I was introduced to Tony Stark, Steve Rogers, Hank Pym, because in a, like they have a, a side arc in Age of Ultron, uh, or not Age of Ultron, um, Age of Apocalypse, where they're like the human rebellion. And I was like, I don't know who these people are. That's, I don't, I don't know if I should be interested in them. And then I got into like the Marvel wikis and went, Oh, wait, that's Iron Man. Oh, okay, cool. So I understand, like, it took a alternate universe for me to see their civilian names for the first time while reading an X-Men comic. Like, X-Men was really the first thing that I really dipped my comic book reading eyes into. And ever since then, I've had ups and downs of opinions. I'll state my opinions on the reboot, the soft reboot, when we get to it. But there's a lot of discourse about X-Men that I really enjoy hearing about, namely, like, who should be Wolverine and like how Hollywood has like changed Wolverine through the, uh, through the lens of Hugh Jackman. I think that like Cyclops is getting a Superman esque, like revitalization of like, Hey, this character got a lot of shit for being a boy scout, but like he's actually really cool and deserves a, a an honorable adaptation. Cause we have yet to have a good one. So like, I have a lot of those opinions about X-Men as well as like a lot of knowledge about random characters. So I'm like, no, I actually really like that one because X-Men arguably in Fox's favor favor could, could be its own complete universe as big, if not bigger than the MCU in terms of viable, interesting characters, but they all just happen to be mutants. So like, it's going to be interesting how the MCU decides to balance all these other potential realms of the shared universe and then also the big ass world of mutants. So those are all questions going into talking about these fucking movies that I am going to touch on over the course of the month because like it's a lot to take in and play with and i think their choice of who they decided of what toys they decided to take out of the toy box for these first movies absolutely dictate the kind of stories that they were able to tell and what succeeded and what failed me um so naturally that brings us to the the granddaddy the first one one of the first true adaptations of any marvel property into film to the point where uh, I noticed when I watched X2 and I was like, was there a Marvel thing before there wasn't a Marvel thing before the first X-Men? I can't remember if that or Spider-Man came out first. Yeah. Like the tr- traditional, like red comic book, like thing. Oh, you mean that? Yeah. No, like yeah. in association with Marvel no. was what? Well, yeah. Was not, was not around until that, at least on Disney plus it just starts. And I'm just like, Oh, Okay. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> a lot of these movies kind of just fucking start. <laughs> well, and also not only that, but like there's also I don't know. It's like I think we talked about this with Spider-Man. There was like a disregard of the fact that this was a comic book. Like you're going to see a ton of that in my notes of like, we're kind of just disregarding that this is like a nerd thing. Like you're trying to make it a Hollywood blockbuster. And it's like, it's changing things in that way. Whereas now it's like all about the juxtaposition. So go, uh, you know, moving on. Um, Uh, I had zero recollection. Yeah. Yes. uh, X-Men did come first. Okay. There you go. Because it's 2000. Um, Hot damn. Uh, so yeah, I have z- had zero recollection of this Matrix-esque cerebro-spinal cord credits roll. <laughs> Wait, you forgot? I forgot that that's how the oh. opening credits were for this. I didn't know <laughs> that it was going to have a Spider-Man-esque really long opening credit scene, let alone that it was going to look basically like it could be set up for the Matrix. Like, to the point where I even have to quibble with you on, like, is it Spider-Man-esque? <laughs> Or is Spider-Man no, right. X-Men-esque? <laughs> and is X-Men just the Matrix-esque? Like, truly... Truly. The amount, of trench, <laughs> the amount of trench coats in this movie, and all three of these movies, was just like, damn, the Matrix had a stranglehold on everything. <laughs> also, like, because obviously we're going to talk about it, because the first movie is the most in keeping with this attitude of just, like... I mean... Yeah, we're doing X-Men, but like, you know, it's like cool X-Men, I swear. Like, it's not like it's not like, you know, old X-Men. It's like it's like it's like cool we are, X-Men. We are still snorting Coke in the nineteen eighties pitch room. Like, that's kind of where <laughs> we're at. Um that is a trope now that I've brought into our show. It's like when when a movie is too Hollywood, it's because they're snorting Coke in the eighties pitch room. Um it's always a good call to start with Magneto. Like, I, that's never not a good call. Well, you say that. Um, but I do have to quibble here. Okay. Uh, cause I don't know if we're going to bother really doing plots with. Oh no, <laughs> I don't think we should. Okay. Let's actually, you know what? Let's just go over all three. <laughs> cause, <laughs> just cause I can do that pretty web. quickly. I can do that pretty quickly. Um, the first X-Men, it starts by doing like a flashback to Magneto's origin and in the Holocaust. And then basically what it is, it's the, you take Rogue and you take Logan and you set them on a course to meet up with Xavier School for gifted youngsters. You set up Magneto as like, also trying to find Rogue because Rogue apparently has the power uh, to use a machine for Magneto to turn other people into mutants. That is the entire plot of the first one. And then the X-Men got to stop him and Logan's skeptical. Hoo-hoo. Uh, the second one is based on based on an actual comic arc called uh, God Loves, Man Kills, um, in which a, a uh, William Stryker is a government uh, military operative who has essentially been weaponizing the mind control of his mutant son uh, to control mutants to then also essentially find a back way in to get at Charles Xavier, mind control Charles Xavier. He replicates Cerebro so that Cerebro can then mentally, psychically kill all the mutants. That is the plot of it. There's a little bit of Wolverine backstory um, because the final fight and the false cerebro happens in the same facility that Wolverine was created in, in the Weapon X program. That is the extent of the plot. And then Gene dies. Womp womp. We'll talk about it. Um, and then the third one is everyone's still a little bit sad, and it's a major tonal shift because the director and writer changed. Um, and 
Jean is not uh, not dead. In fact, she is reborn, but they don't ever say the word Dark Phoenix, but it's supposed to be based on Dark Phoenix, but it's not at all. Um, Jean is still alive, and somebody came up with a mutant cure. The father of Angel, the Worthington Corporation, uh, came up with a mutant cure, a suppressant for their powers. And so now people are politically acting against the cure. They get the Morlocks instead of the Brotherhood to be Magneto's, you know, basically, you know, punching bags. Um, that he throws out in front of, in front of him. And then, uh, Gene goes a little bit crazy, uh, and joins Magneto's side instead. So they have to face off at Alcatraz Island to stop the cure and also stop Gene. And, and Logan has to kill Gene. Also, Gene kills Scott for some reason. Um, that is literally the plot of the three original X-Men movies. There is nothing else you need to know. <laughs> also, Nightcrawler's rad. Um, <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll talk about that too because, like, he can be better. Um, I mean, so anyway, yeah. I mean, yeah, always a good. So back to my back to my note so that you can quibble now with back it. To me. Um, it's always now back to me. Uh, it's always to me. It's always a good start to start with Magneto because Magneto is immediately interesting. Um, you know, in the version that we're gonna have, we're probably gonna have to change that version just based on the timeline for MCU. But like, Holocaust Magneto origin story always interesting to me. Your quibble. So I normally would agree with that if the story was a bit more about Magneto. Oh, no, I actually fully agree with that. Yeah. Specifically, it kind of sucks that they did this here with the first X-Men because I feel like it's way more fitting for something like First Class. Oh, and it was it's just much better executed in First Class as well. In fact, I think they like essentially took that scene and reshot it for first class. Which, I mean, like, I, that my scene memory, is a one-to-one. Yeah, my memory of first class is very dim, um, as is my memory with, like, a lot of the movies I rewatch for the podcast, hence why I rewatch them. Uh, but, like, yeah, that was my first thought when I saw it, was just like, oh, because it's giving the impression that we're going to, like, really get to know Magneto and we're not really. No, not, we're not. Not really. Nah. He's going to be like, I think it's it, like it works for me in the beginning because I'm like, OK, what I'm getting here is very much great parallels to like oppression and difference. And then he also has the powers. And then we we eventually find out. And, you know, people, I think, had enough of an understanding where if they are like advertise the villain as Magneto, that they're like, oh, that's the villain. OK, cool. Um, even if you knew nothing, I'm like, really, the guy who's bending metal is Magneto. If you didn't catch that, you're an idiot. Um, but yes, you're absolutely right where it's like, yeah, then he just gets relegated. We'll talk about Magneto in these movies because I have a bone to pick. Um, yeah. Um, it also like we also get a small opening with Rogue that might actually just work better as a lead in because yeah. then we follow Rogue. So it's like. I have a note that's written for X2, but it does apply to both X1 and 2 of like these for as iconic as these opening sequences ended up being like they both movies have built in cold opens, (laughs) but they don't do the cold open until X3 where everything gets worse. (laughs) So Uh, in terms of do you have more on the rogue stuff? Because I have stuff on the rogue stuff. I mean, my main thing is the thing that I think everyone has ever said about this first movie, 
I think it's the thing we can all kind of agree upon. Even if you like the movie, even if you hate the movie, it's like we all kind of agree that it's like if you're going to set up Rogue to be the point of view, how about just stick with her for the point of view? Yup. I don't know why there's this thing of like, oh, we're following Rogue and she's a runaway. Yeah, the second she meets up with Logan. And then, oh. Time for it's Logan time. Set your watch. It. Oh, check the time. It's Logan time, y'all. Oh, it's Hugh Jackman. <laughs> He's too tall. <laughs> well, yes. Uh, Hugh Jackman is over six foot, and Wolverine is supposed to be a short king. <laughs> He's supposed to be like a little gremlin man. Like a wolverine. He's supposed to be like a little bowling ball of a person. <laughs> like a weasel, which is what a wolverine is. It's in the weasel family. Specifically, um, he's supposed to be like like the rage of a short person, like a short man. Like he's supposed to be the Vegeta, who like always has that inferiority complex of like, you know, Hey, you know, don't you, don't you talk down to me. I'm just as powerful. I'll kick your fucking ass. Like, but if you Jackman's like fucking six foot goddamn four and he's towering over people, it's not the same thing. It's, it's really and not. And that's a case of like the way that Hollywood went about casting this. Like, sure, they got people who could transformatively look like the people, but then not really like they could put that hair on Hugh Jackman, but like, that's all it really is like. And then what they basically did was we need a black woman for storm Halle Berry. Sure. Which, like that, I mean, that's if, the extent of it, which I mean, Halle Berry, of course could play storm, but like, yeah, I also, I don't really, think they thought that much farther. I also really don't think they gave her time to prepare because not at all. I mean, Holly Berry is an Oscar award-winning actress. Notoriously Oscar award-winning. You need award to winning. tell me that she can't put on a good African accent. Right. Oh, we'll get... So, okay, if we're just going to do this now, yeah. why can't anyone just do an accent in these 2000 movies? <laughs> there are so many characters who a big part of their identity is being international, and the only people who are allowed... The only person who's allowed to do an accent is Nightcrawler. Like, they allow him to be German... But they don't allow Colossus to be Russian. They don't allow uh, Storm to be African. They don't like like they. I guess you could play with uh, Magneto being German or not. Whatever you could do it either way. Um, the irony is that Charles Xavier was never supposed to be British until uh, until they cast. Um, Fucking my brain just completely Sir lost Patrick the name. Stewart. Thank you, Sir Patrick Stewart. Um, he was never meant to be English until they cast Patrick Stewart. Um, he, he has a mansion in Westchester, New York. He's not He's supposed, supposed to be, to be a Kennedy. Um, <laughs> basically, <laughs> basically like he's, he was never British. Um, and now he's forever British. Um, so rounding back into the casting, I just, I've never liked how mopey Anna Paquin is in this role. Like, I don't know what it is because it is prevalent across all three movies a bit. And it's like, I don't want to be mean because I, 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 we are both actors. We are both creatives. And so it's like, we know that 
especially when it comes to film, you are only as good as your director, screenwriter, and editor. That is the extent of how good you can be. Because there will always be bad takes. There will always, like, if you're dealing with a bad script, there's only so much you can do. And if the director wants you to give less, you're going to give less. Or if they want you to give way, way, way more, they're, you're going to have to give way, way, way more. And there's so only, only so much you can do. Plus, actors are cast. They don't just... Contrary to, to a lot of popular belief, unless you're dealing with somebody like Chris Hemsworth, which I'm sure does get cast because of his appearance or in other roles, or like Chris Pratt as well, very topical at the time of recording. But like most actors, most actors, they do have to get cast. So if anyone's ever like, oh, this actor was terrible, keep in mind, they had to nail the audition and callbacks. Like... So, this is not me necessarily trying to pick on Anna Paquin, but genuinely, yes, I agree, absolutely, of, like, for some reason, Anna Paquin, across all three of these films, I don't know what's happening, it's like Bella Swan before Bella Swan. Right? Of just, like... Woe is me, like, yeah, sure, she has a death touch, but also, that's not really what rogue's power is um <laughs> yeah she kills people but you know um but that's not really what rogue's power is like rogue's power has shifted over the years like rogue has flight and super strength that she's run in with captain marvel that she stole so like it's like i miss like the note i have is i miss rogue conceptually Because these movies took her off the table. This is like the most stripped down version of Rogue that you could probably get. And then what do they do with it? Nothing. Nothing. (laughs) They don't do anything with it. She actively gets sidelined by every male character that she then becomes close to. Um, It doesn't make any sense. And the only source of like conflict for her is she wants to kiss boys and she can't. Like, that is the entirety of Rogue's conflict to the point where like jumping ahead, she could just have her own internal conflict of I kill people when I touch people and I want to get cured. But then they make it about her relationship. Like they actively make it about like whether or not Bobby is interested in her Ugh. anymore. And like, I'm like, she didn't need that at all. Like if the only thing about her that you're going to do is that she kills people by touching them, then then you do nothing with her. Anyway, like, okay, let's get back I, to the first movie. <laughs> like, because gen- genuinely, I think they use that concept decently well in the first one, and then they don't build on it, which could have just been done by, like, yeah, just have her suck the powers of somebody else and then just do something else. Like, just have, like, introduce a person, doesn't have to be Captain Marvel, introduce a person that has super strength in flight, that is on Magneto's side, that she sucks dry, and then just have that be her thing for two and three. Like, fucking, goddamn. It's just, uh, uh, uh. So, cool. this so first... back to, back to X1. Uh, what is this, what is this congressional hearing that is just also a public hearing? 
Like when when Senator Kelly is like finishing his thing, and there's an audience who claps, and they're like an audience audience. It's not his fellow senators, and I'm like, what is this weird concept of a legislature that you're playing with here? Movies were weird. Movies have always been a little bit weird. Movies are weird, but since now becoming slightly ever so much more politically active and following people like AOC on Twitter and things like that, the fact that this starts as Jean Grey presenting, like, testimony, excuse me, or, like, evidence to, uh, like, uh, the, I, I assume Congress or something, and then it just completely gets hijacked by some old white man, it's like, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, and like that's that. <laughs> that's another thing that's another thing about these movies that has like it has a point of view problem. All of these movies have a point of view problem because they still won't quite let us cinematically be say, take the point of view of Gene. Like we are not seeing it is not being shot from Gene's perspective. It's being shot like kind of objectively yeah, but is, like also I guess like objective. Charles's perspective. And it doesn't help the narrative. Um, and then, like, a lot of things get buried. Like, if there's a way you can shoot it and a way you can have Gene uh, deliver these lines when she's, like, when when they say, well, mutants are dangerous. And she goes, well, everyone can be dangerous. It's like, A, it's not the, quite the correct line. Like, you needed to say, well, no, you, most mutants just turn blue or have webbed feet. They're no more dangerous than the wrong person behind the wheel of a car. Is like the like lines from the comics. And that's a very important thing to really hammer home about what people think of mutants is that it's like, we can present the fact of them being more or less harmless. And then people are still going to hate us. Like, but they don't do that because of how the film has a point of view problem. It's like, it's kind of, they want to do this us against them oppressive thing so much that they kind of don't want to also do the nuanced arguments in it. They don't really want to invest in, and you know what, to be fair, maybe this is slightly ever so much affected by like all the criticisms of fucking Phantom Menace having too much politics in it. I don't think so, but like maybe, maybe because I mean, because in in my mind, if this if you take the bones of X one and make it today, there's a lot more actual conversation, and it's not necessarily in this like Senate hearing scenario, but it might be in more of an interview scenario, right? Of like a one on one thing where Gene gets to have much more of a conversational type of thing where there's an anecdote presented there's like her trying to relate to people on camera yada 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 and it's like actually doing this as a debate whereas i think the film is much more interested in the malcolm x martin luther kingness of it all of like you're either either or you're either on this side or this side pick a side but either way but either way, both of them are black and I'm white. Like, that's also the narrative that people create with, with by making a dichotomy between MLK and, 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 and Malcolm X. Like, it's not that it's not that simple. And it's what white people did to the narrative and rather than the reality of it. So, like, again, it's not really how. And the thing is, we don't even deal 
in these kinds of parallels in X-Men comics nowadays, or even like the X-Men comics of the day, like all of this is just really Hollywood oversimplified of really interesting things about X-Men. And so I'll, I'll touch on it a couple points, like as we go through this, cause we're still not even that far. Yeah. Um, <laughs> this is kind of the, just the stuff that kind of as obligatory, you have to bring up with. Yeah. X-Men. It's like, it's fundamental to understanding of these movies. Yeah. Um, so, I think from here, from the hearing or whatever, we go to Logan, right? Well, there's a scene with Charles and and well, yeah, uh, and Eric in the hallway, which I actually think is w- very well acted with the two of them, and like the, has the makings of an actual good scene. Um, I just think that Charles is like a little too much Nazi apologists um, because he's literally Eric's literally like, hey, by the way, you know that like Nazis experimented on me, right? And he's Charles is like, not all humans. And I'm like, oh, Jesus, Charles. Okay, that doesn't read well today. <laughs> that doesn't read well today at all. <laughs> that's yeah. like, that's a not a, that's a not all men uh, statement there, Charles. Um, I do feel like in general, there's not a l- enough from Charles. Like Eric gets a shit ton to chew on in yeah. terms of ideology. And Charles, t- t- to rebuttal that, to answer that is basically like, no. No, come no, on. No, but I like human. Just, just give and like, but daddy, I love yeah. him. Uh, <laughs> but like, but the film gets to be from his perspective and in the way that it's like, well, we are still here to, to we are the defenders of honor and peace. Um, and that's what we want. And you just want to tear it all down and tearing it all down would be bad for the capitalists. Uh, like that's, that's like what it's giving in today's society where it's like, there's a lot more nuanced conversation to have about like who leads of movement and what it means to like man deal with oppression. Like there's much more nuance than this movie is willing to go into. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Two thousands movies really like their star characters in cage matches. Hugh Jackman is too tall. Yep. <laughs> Uh, I say it once, I'll say it again, and hope you enjoy the reprise. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't mind the conversation with Rogue in the car after they meet, where she's like, "Does it hurt whenever you do it?" And she, he goes, "Every time." I'm like, "That's actually, I, that's actually okay. That's pretty good." Yeah. Um, like we touched on earlier, like Paquin's performance is a little, it's it's a little shaky. Um, for any number of factors, um, I think Jack, again, it's a very Hollywoodized Logan, but like, sure, I'll, I'll buy it. Yeah. I guess. Um, so this fight was safe. The the most palpable quotation marks that I can give this fight with Sabretooth, um, two hits. Really? Yeah. Also like. The whole like ticking clock of the fire, it just feels very screenwritery. I'm like, you have a world in which characters have fantastical powers, and sure, you're probably limited by what your 2000s budget could do, but like, why, why are you writing a fire is gonna blow up the car ticking clock? Like, that just feels very like, I'm a young screenwriter. This is a tool on the wall in the script. Like, that's what it felt like. Like, I could maybe forgive it if it mattered. Like, right. If All it does is set up the X-Men finding them. I, even that, like, 
I don't even fully know why they saved them other than maybe Charles was tracking Sabretooth. Right. And he just so happened to be like, oh, he's converging on these other mutants. There's probably going to be a thing. But even then, that's so last second of like, were they already in the air? And like, he was just like, uh, yeah, just go, 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 go now before he go kills somebody. Um, but like, in terms of the fire, the fire could have been a, the reason why Logan loses the fight is because he keeps trying to go for Rogue and save Rogue. And yeah. Sabretooth is like taking advantage of that because Logan's not really fighting to win at this point. Um, but again, they don't really do that. Logan goes down in two hits, which for many reasons seems like not the right choice here because it's Sabretooth. Like, specifically because it's Sabretooth, I'm like, really? So Sabretooth put down Logan in two hits. And we're going to talk about Wolverine Origins this month. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but like, also just the thing of like, it also doesn't really do it, but I know it's like the screenwriter in me knows why that happened. Right. I know why that happened. So he can wake up in the X-Men. So he can wake up in the X-Men. <laughs> Which I mean, you could also have done with the thing that I suggested of like trying to save Rogue. Um, and then he saves her and then the explosion happens. Cool. Done. Or Easy. yeah, or that. Sure. Like, <laughs> yeah, sure. Right. Because, <laughs> like, you know, I still think it's, like, maybe a good idea for the X-Men to save them. Or even if they arrive on the scene after the in the aftermath. Like, either right. way. Like, just because it doesn't really matter. <laughs> but, um. I'm going to tug on the Sabretooth thread for a little bit. Okay. Because I think the next thing is the layer. Right. Like we get introduced through Logan's eyes to the school, yada, yada, yada. And then like we then go to Magneto's lair. And like this is something that I, I've been hinting at so far in the episode about like it's it's interesting how the comics have gone since 2000. Like the Brotherhood of Mutants is actually kind of like an antiquated concept when you're talking about X-Men today or even quite at the time. Like the concept of like we're the evil mutants like isn't really a binary that they play with anymore in the comics. Like Magneto really isn't a mustache twirling villain. Most of the time, like in his first appearance ever in like X-Men number one, um, it's very much like, Oh yeah. Okay. He's, he's trying to kill people because that, because he's evil, yada, yada. And you see Magneto like several times team up with other mustache twirly villains. But like for a very long time, Magneto has been this like, sympathetic antagonist and so the concept of him even having like a team that is his own is really like so antiquated that i think it's evident when fastbender never forms his own team like fastbender's magneto is always a loner who then is an opportunist when he sees an opportunity to strike and so like there's never a truly an a villain team because we don't think like that magneto so that's why him having a team just feels hollow in all three movies. And then on top of that, because those actors in the Brotherhood never speak at length, they just feel like props. I'm really going to touch on this in X3. 
Yeah. Because oh, yeah. it definitely comes to a head, this exact thing. Yeah. It's like, this is just a prop so that Magneto doesn't have to fight everyone alone all the time, and you can throw some cameos in here and there. Like, it's it's kind of annoying, because, like, Mystique, I think they did way too much with her in the reboot, but, like, is an interesting character. There's other Brotherhood characters that are interesting, and, like, the fact that they never touched Quicksilver until the reboot is another thing, where it's like, Quicksilver is a massive Brotherhood character. Uh, so like, yeah, there's a lot more cool things that can happen. And also like, they never let anybody other than Gene in the third one and Pyro join them when like all of them have joined them at some point or another, you know? So anyway, Hmm. uh, I have, uh, slightly, uh, backwards. Uh, I have a thing with, uh, the actual formal introductions, with Logan and the rest of uh, uh, the the whole early 2000s of it all, because... Oh, yeah. The only joke I have before that is how many scenes do we need of a skeptical Logan and Hugh Jackman running shirtless in metal hallways? Exactly. <laughs> because I'm pretty sure Hugh Jackman runs shirtless in a metal hallway in every single X-Men movie he was ever in. Or w- at least um, with, like, a tank top on. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Bare arms, yep. feral, running through a metal hallway. Ah! Uh, <laughs> that is the t- that's the title of the episode. Is bare arms, feral, running through a metal hallway? <laughs> really? Because I thought the title of this episode was just going to be "fuck Brian Singer." Um. Anyway, anyway. <laughs> he's your guy. I, um, what? Rush hour. That is not my guy. <laughs> I was right there with you, <laughs> eviscerating those movies because they're racist as fuck. <laughs> anyway, but moving on. Um. Okay. So no, but I was gonna say they script Logan to be skeptical and poke fun at the code names like Sabretooth. But he himself and Rogue have code names. Yeah, like he had a dog tag with Wolverine on it, and he. Look, maybe I'm being a meta. Maybe I'm being meta. But I feel like he should already know Sabretooth. Like, or at the very least, it would be more interesting if he did. <laughs> oh, they fuck they fuck with the timeline of these things so much. And the reasons why X happens and Z happens and how old someone is in this year of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, but it's, like, like, it's, it's they fuck with it so it's much. It's a thing of like they say canonically in these films, he's been amnesia for 15 years. Right. So Sabretooth yeah, Sabretooth fuck probably with him for 15 fuck around with them. years. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> and then just became a mindless stooge. Ugh, god damn it. Um, but yeah, it's the, you know, the main issue is that, like, the film is fighting with the innate silliness of the comic books while being a comic book movie and right. having the protagonist do it, like, this never ends well. Right. This never ends well. And it just makes everyone else that he's interacting with feel very wooden. Yeah. Especially James Marsden. <laughs> like, poor James Marsden. I actually think that James Marsden has a degree of talent where he could have done a good Cyclops, <laughs> but he wasn't given, he wasn't given, I think he speaks less than 100 words in all three movies. <laughs> and I guarantee you 50% of those is Gene. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> yep. Gene. Pretty much. 
He does not get to do anything. The writers of these movies very much went, oh, the guy who's like, just looks like a beanpole with laser eyes. Yeah, fuck that guy. Give me the claws. Give me the claws, motherfucker. Have him fuck the redhead. Fuck the redhead. Yes. Like, that's, that's what they wanted to do. Um, okay, yeah. So, like, right after that, they have the big exposition dump of Charles just giving all the information on what the X-Men are. And then you have that whole training montage where like, we've never seen them in their uniforms before, but you see like, you see Gene having Cyclops do like the, you know, the clay, like blasting the, the clay discs and stuff like that. (laughs) And I really wanted the dialogue to instead be the overlay voiceover instead to be whatever he was saying for it instead to be, I taught them to use their powers and in exchange, they dress up in leather because I like that because like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they do make fun of the costumes in the movie. They like they make fun of the fact that they're in all black. Like Logan says something snide, and then James Marsden goes, "Well, what did you prefer, yellow tights?" And I'm like, "Yes, actually, I would have preferred would. yellow tights." Cyclops. <laughs> A lot of people would. <laughs> also, it makes more sense because it lets you stretch. Spandex lets you move. <laughs> God. As it, as Hulk says in the She-Hulk TV show, your best friend is now spandex. Um, um, but like, oh shit, you just said something, uh, and I, 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 oh, I'm losing it. Uh, what did you just say? Um, oh yeah, I don't know why it's the editor in me that's making me <laughs> recognize the similarities between two movies that I want that I like to make fun of. So it's making me cross-reference them. And so once you said replace uh, Xavier's monologue over the training montage, I immediately replaced it with, like, random-ass Katara narration from Last Airbender. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just like, oh, my God. Oh, no, why does it work? Why does it work? (laughs) But, okay. Um, So I don't know where you're at next. I, I kind of don't really know either. Like, I take a lot of notes up until, like, they're getting ready to get in the jet to fight the final fight. Okay. And then after that, nothing's interesting. So... Like, nothing is interesting about the conclusion of this movie. So, I want to talk about the, the the elephant in the room with this trilogy. <laughs> there We haven't been going through a whole zoo? I mean, true. Because we've had a zoo. <laughs> I mean, true. But, like, I think there's one thing that whether you know a lot about X-Men or whether you don't, whenever people talk about these movies, there's one thing everyone agrees is like, oh, no, that sucked. <laughs> and that is the fucking love triangle. It's shit. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So... Okay, first off, yes, it is forced and it's dull. But also, like... By the time we're getting to, like, you know, Jean's in Logan's room and they're talking and, like, Logan goes, is your superpower putting up with Scott? And I'm like, why do you already have a problem with him? What the fuck? Yeah, like, <laughs> literally, it's it's literally like they want that to be the main relationship and then they just are like, uh, but we gotta, and you know what would be really great? If we cuckold Scott. Like if Scott was just if Scott was just there in the corner, just jerking off, being like, oh, man, like that's what they want in these movies. That's why there's it's not a love triangle because there is no reason why all it is is the established like, oh, yeah, they're in a relationship done. There's nothing to show them being affectionate with one another. 
There is nothing to indicate that Scott cares at all beyond jealousy being territorial yeah. when they're all three of them are in the room. They literally, I tracked it in all three movies. Scott and Logan do not have a single conversation <laughs> that does not revolve around Gene. <laughs> What is, we need a they reverse don't. Bechtel. We need a reverse Bechtel test. They don't. <laughs> God damn it. And it's like, and it also makes your brain fucking melt when you realize that like fucking Sophie Turner uh, would have had to be opposite uh, Hugh Jackman for this to work in a reboot. Ugh. Um, Like, uh, very bad. Doesn't work at all. Uh, Like at least Ty Sheridan was the same age. Uh, Jesus Christ. No. So it's like, it's just that they don't have a single, even in X3 when she's dead. Sc- he like Scott is moody and Logan is like, hey, Scott, we missed you today. And Scott's like, Muh. and then he goes, I know you're upset about Gene. And he goes, Muh. and then he leaves <laughs> and dies. <laughs> That's their whole conversation. <laughs> They don't have a single conversation that's not about Gene. I need I need X-Men abridged. I need X-Men abridged right now. Because then I just I just am imagining a dub. I'm imagining a dub. Just, just that it happens. It's like Muh. but Scott Muh. And then just hard cut. To like, oh, and he's just mid blow To the up. lake, and he's he mid yeah. <laughs> And then he's, he's at the lake, died. and he's shooting his eyes. <laughs> like, literally just take a Patrick Star scream of like, oh! Jesus Christ. Oh my God. It's really ironic because I did actually have a compliment for that exact exchange too down the line. But God damn, that was funny. Okay. Um, Okay. So I'm still not done with this. Yeah. (laughs) Because I genuinely like, they seem to already have issues. And it's like hitting on Gene is one thing. Fine. Sure. If it has to happen. But it's like their animosity also seems to just be between them for some reason. Right. Because like Scott says something. Scott says it must burn Logan up that a boy like him saved his life. And I'm like, what does that mean? Yeah, that's that is. It's also. (laughs) Is there a cut scene? (laughs) No, but also just be like, man, it must. Well, he's talking about he's talking about when they picked him up. In the in yeah, but Canada. this is the problem with and, him being knocked out for that. <laughs> right. Not only that, it's literally like Scott telling on him, being like, "Man, I bet you're really, really upset that a pussy saved you." Like, like he's self. But he's why self is Scott a pussy? Insulting. I don't understand. <laughs> I know he's not, but you get my point. Like that's like you could essentially rewrite the line of being like, "Man, I I may be a wimp, but I saved you." Like that's that's what the writers think about Cyclops, and so like yeah. They're just telling on themselves. Which is so stupid. I, I, I'm i going to end this episode with a justice for Cyclops rant, <laughs> but I'm going to end it, the episode with that. Um, um, but like, also, the, the complete gem, the nugget of bad writing that is, if I had to tell you to stay away from my girl, she wouldn't be my girl. And then 15 seconds later, hey, Logan, stay away from my girl. What? Right. Right. Why? Right. <laughs> my girlfriend's loyal what <laughs> god 
Damn it. <laughs> That's just what he's doing. And they constantly steal each other's motorcycles. Um, no, no, no. There's which they both, one of course, have to have motorcycles. There, there is, this is a one-way stealing of a motorcycle. <laughs> anyway, uh, I think that you lose a lot. Like, they, they essentially force all the adult X-Men to be scientists when they're not supposed to be. Like, you lose a lot by not having any Hank McCoys, any, like, you lose a lot by not having any of these science-based mutants in this movie. Like, you essentially make it so that Storm and Gene are, like, geniuses in X-Gene and evolution and, like, aircraft. Which, I'm like... And then Scott it just, teaches it, auto It shop. actually makes them... Right. <laughs> it's like, it actually makes them more hollow because there's no, like reason behind it like it's not that they aren't smart but they don't have doctorates like they are not just all suddenly these ivy league professors like that's not how the x-men work like there are people who do the science side of things to keep them all alive and keep studying stuff and those characters exist you just didn't include them but you still needed to talk about the science so you just made everyone a science expert which is like it's not interesting like I could maybe buy, you know, you could just give them specializ specializations like Aurora is maybe history or like literature or something like yeah. that. Yeah, Gene can be like a therapist or just like biology, like and just yeah, in general. And maybe she specializes in neural shit because I mean, obviously, right? Um, right. But you know, they still could use a Hank McCoy from the beginning, especially given how it ends. Like right fucking the least you could have done <laughs> the the least you could have done is just had hank at lee god damn that's one thing first class like went one out of more their actor. way to do <laughs> one more actor and you didn't have to have him post transformation you could have saved it for another movie and he could have just been in that scene he didn't need to be on the team like it would have been so easy um and it would have been an okay easter egg because in x2 they have two people as like commentators on the uh on the TV and their names are McCoy and Shaw as in Hank McCoy and and Seb and uh Sebastian Shaw other X-Men characters but they're just meant to be regular people it's like an easter egg and then you have Hank McCoy in the third movie and so it's just like you all were just throwing shit wherever you wanted to uh cuz you didn't know honestly it makes me wonder if they knew that they were going to make more at any point um because we're not quite in the realm of everything. It's a trilogy. <sighs> There's nothing about Magneto's powers that make any sense to him turning uh, Senator Kelly into a mutant. There's nothing about magnetism that does that. So it's a dumb plot. Um, it's just like, at the end of the day, I have a few more notes on this movie, and then we're probably going to plow through the other ones. Um at the end of the day, like knowing what I know about X-Men and all the different stories you could have done and all the stories that they did that are good stories, but then the movie was bad, like just choosing to make this the plot of Magneto's going to turn everyone into mutants by a mysterious machine that he's going to use Rogue as a MacGuffin for is just the least interesting plot that you could have constructed for the X-Men. It's just kind of boring all things considered like the engaging parts of the movie are learning who everyone is. And then what you do with them just kind of doesn't matter. Yeah. Honestly, like honestly, 
I could buy you doing a very simplified plot with the first X-Men movie, but you got to make up for that with the actual taking your time characterization. Yeah. With characterization and fleshing things out and establishing motives and arcs and all that shit. You can have a really, really simple plot as long as you spend that time you would have saved doing a more complicated plot in the places that matter, which is like for X-Men has to be the characters. And the only people that get really good characterization is Charles, who like doesn't really need it. And Logan, who shouldn't be getting it, at least not right now. Like the time for Logan. Like this is not an ensemble movie. Right. Like it's not an ensemble movie. You can't call it an ensemble movie if like out of all the X-Men, like, let's count it up. Logan is clearly a protagonist, which is already fucking up the dynamic of an ensemble movie, but sure, fine, whatever. And then you have Scott, who has the one archetype of jealous boyfriend. You have Gene, who is just a sexy lamp. Uh, and then you have Storm, who is played by Holly Berry. And then you have <laughs> Charles Xavier. <laughs> you have Charles Xavier, who is right about literally everything, and that's his whole character. And then you have the villains? Or no, no, sorry. Then you have Rogue, who existed in the first part of the movie and then became a living MacGuffin. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And, like, this is a movie that I don't even dislike. I, I just want to be clear. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> we're very much, like, we're an hour into our recording, and, like, this is very much a happy birthday sign of a topic. <laughs> we went real big real quick. Um, big ass age. <laughs> the thing you need to know about the X-Men. And, oh, there's no room to talk about the third movie. Um... um <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and skip some of my uh smaller notes. That's fine because Yeah, uh, it's like my other things I can do are just like insert Logan versus Magneto trope. Um Ian McKellen does use those powers with style in this first movie and in the second movie. Like he does look stylish while doing it. Um and then like yeah, like I said, the villain it's the same goal as the Super Mario movie that they want to transform everybody into disgusting blobs. Um and then I said like I said Magneto's kind of right about the the way people are going to treat them in the future, and nothing's interesting about their final mission. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, a peek behind my experience rewatching this first movie, because I text Trevor about this, but I didn't elaborate. Um, <laughs> I was watching the movie, and it was very normal. It was very normal. There's nothing really to write home about. I was like, yeah, I remember all this, but now I actually have specific notes and things to reference, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> and then I lost my shit. I lost all of my shit collectively at once because it's right after Magneto very much points out, like, Logan, it's really stupid of you to ever fight me. And he just, like, flings him off to the back of the train, and they take Rogue. But, like, they're coming out of the train station, and they put Rogue in a body bag! And they 
caught me off guard because it took me a second to register. Like, it took a beat to register. Like, holy shit, did they just stuff Rogue in, a, in like, a fucking burlap sack? <laughs> like, what the fuck? It's like, it's like the movie went out of its way to not be cartoony, <laughs> and yet you're throwing characters in burlap sacks. Like you couldn't you couldn't wrap her in metal. <laughs> Cause I, I literally said out loud, I was like, they they just shove her in a burlap sack. <laughs> God damn. I actually had a note about that too, though, what you said. Of like, it's weird because sometimes this movie is very goofy and self aware. And then other times it mocks its own source material for being goofy. And I'm like, make up your damn mind, Elise. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> what do you what do you want? God damn it. Okay. Uh, they did though. Second movie. <laughs> they did really try to give Charles going down emotional weight. Sure. And maybe in a better movie, this would work. I mean, they're gonna do it three other times, so. <laughs> yeah, but like you got people like referencing, like you know, you taught me everything I know, and like you got Gene like risking everything, like put on Cerebro for the first time. It's like again, I see all of this in a better movie, like would work. Yeah. Because, like, it reminded me of Hellboy. There's a lot of stuff going on in the first Hellboy. But I don't remember ever, like, thinking it was too much for some reason. Like, it kind of worked from my memory. Uh, and I'd obviously have to watch it again. But, like, I don't know. It reminded me of how, like, there is a lot of shit going on in Hellboy. But they still have a plot and fights and mystery and things like that. And I think this movie kind of wanted to do all that shit. It just, there's not enough character. That's the big theme of this one is just, there's not enough character work. Which like, I'll give it, it's hard to do it with a large cast. But like, that's why you have to take your time. We jumped forward in time a little. Um, I'm already over Gene and Logan. I'm already over it. Yep. And this has been bubbling under the surface for the entire movie, but it's reached a critical mass here at the end. The Logan rogue thing is weird. It's, it's weird. Maybe if rogue wasn't a teenager and she was like in her twenties or maybe if wait, you thought there was a thing between them. I thought it was more like an older brother. Or maybe it's because Anna Paquin keeps looking longingly at Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Okay. And I'm like, Okay, <laughs> guys, <laughs> I, 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 mm, something about this needs to change. Either you, I mean, it will, it'll just go away. I eh, kind of, they do a lot less of it, but like, it's still a thing of like the way Anna Paquin acts around Logan is still kind of like that vibe, like, hey, it's my favorite person. What's up? How are you? Let's let's go somewhere and talk. You want to talk? And I'm just like, this is weird. <laughs> this is weird for Logan. I think it's because they put Anna Paquin on one channel, which is <laughs> boys. Boys. Uh, that's not the same thing as girls, because there's a song called Girls. Anyway, 
Uh, I don't think it's called. Anyway. Um, girls. Yeah. All I really want is girls. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> so- yeah, Beastie Boys. Oh, is it Beastie Boys? Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, that's my last note from X1, but it's also just the thing of like all the things to say about X1. I think we're still going to circle back to in these other two. Like, yeah, I think it's just like adding new characters and talking about it. Here's the thing. Before I watched X2, I did reread the comic it's based on, like the whole arc of, of uh, God Loves Man Kills. It's so much better than this. Um, but that said, I, w- I will give the the crown, the little plastic crown for these movies, because if they're competing with each other, to X2. I think X2 is the best of the three of them. Yes. Um, because it best adheres to an actual good, iconic storyline for the X-Men, which is the concept of somebody is rallying some external force who is not Magneto to actually like use Charles's powers and Cerebro to kill all the mutants. And like, like someone is a, it is the closest we've gotten in the for original trilogy to a true like genocide um, in that, in that regard. And so like this one does the best job because it's just based off the best material. Um, so right off the bat, again, we're doing this weird opening credits, brain wires, tech intro thing. At least it's thematically appropriate for Cerebro though. Yeah. And I think they could have just, done the nightcrawler attack and then lead straight into the title sequence. I think that would have just worked better. But not only that, like it's again, a problem with the point of view of the movie, because like I would have wanted in seeing the tour of the white house to see like from Kurt's point of view, like some heavy breathing from like a closet or something like that. And then, and then he poofs to another part, but, and like seeing his desperation and his anxiety about like what he's being forced to do. Because that would have made him sympathetic to me. But no, he kind of just looks like an assassin. It's like, it's almost like you're making the president the protagonist of this sequence. And that's just the wrong choice. It's great to introduce us to Kurt right off the bat because Kurt's awesome, even though he's not that awesome in this movie. Kurt's an amazing character, but you didn't show me his perspective on this. And then you thus have to explain it at length later. And so like, you could have done yourself a favor by like putting us in Kurt's shoes for that entire sequence. Yes. You didn't show, you didn't show us the meaning of being lonely. Um, <laughs> it's such a stupid, anyway, <laughs> that's for you. <laughs> that's that's just for you. For me. That's just for me. Um, God damn it. So, um, yeah, I don't have that many notes for X2. Let's just go ahead and talk about it now. Uh, thoughts on the age of Nightcrawler? Uh, when he's first introduced in the comics, he's much younger than Alan Cumming is here. But I do think that Alan Cumming is too old and he's not quite sweet enough or like like charmingly sweet. Like Kurt is supposed to be like, say something really cute and sweet and everybody goes, oh, he's actually really great. And they don't really do that here. They make him old and pitiful in this one which is like unfortunate because like i know alan cumming can do better than that yeah i very much absolutely get a beast boy flash you know kind of vibe from night from nightcrawler i mean he's never he's never infantilized but his sweetness comes from the fact that he is just he gets a lot of joy from his faith like, that's one of the best things about Nightcrawler is his relationship to God. And you could have, by featuring him in this movie, 
like Stryker, Stryker is supposed to be a preacher, like a Baptist preacher who has a televangelist show who's rallying people against the mutant cause and then has this tech on the side that he funded with the televangelist stuff. And so like choosing to make him a government operative is telling about what we were willing to put on screen in the 2000s, especially post 9-11. And B, it gets rid of the opportunity for Kurt to be the, like Kurt can be the, the faith is not the problem character. But he doesn't get to do that because Kurt has, despite his like hideous form and the fact that he looks like a demon, Kurt is like the moral compass of the of the X-Men by way of his faith, Christian faith. And so like all these interesting things that we're just not even touching in this. Movie. Yeah, this is kind of what I meant from like the Beast Boy Flash thing of like, I think he ser- serves similar purposes. Yeah. Mm hmm. Uh, in terms of, like, team makeup, of, like, this is why I brought up the age, because I think, like, late teens, maybe oldest, like, early 20s Nightcrawler would have been more interesting and more sympathetic, and yeah, it would have made him a lot more relatable, um... Because he kind of doesn't know what the fuck he's doing at this point. He's still trying to, like, really get a mastery of his powers in the sense of, like, he can't teleport where he can't see. Like, that stuff kind of lines up with, like, late teens, early 20s kind of thing. Um, Him kind of, like, you know, uh, not really kind of knowing what he's doing, being able to be easily taken advantage of, like, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, it doesn't even have to be mind control. Although, yeah, I I would still keep the mind control thing because one, it's consistent of of a thing of like it's a breadcrumb thing, and two, it makes him a lot easier to like empathize with if he fully wasn't in control of his faculties when he, you know, tried to assassinate the president of the United States of America. <laughs> right. Um. Okay. But yeah, I agree. I agree with you. Boob. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Cut my, cut my preemptive. <laughs> um. <laughs> um, although my first like actual real note is kind of against Nightcrawler because he's talking with Storm and good for you. You're trying to do character bonds and like character relationship building yay but also he says someone so beautiful should not be so angry and i'm like okay all right let's let's not do this thing of like you're too pretty to have convictions yeah uh, well not only that but what they're trying what they're trying to do is trying to make it a reflection of how he sees himself they're trying to make it being like you're beautiful i am not they're trying to quasimodo which is Fine. Is what they're trying to do there. But that's not what happens. Which is specifically <laughs> fine because whenever I think of Hunchback, I think of Disney's Hunchback, which I think is the best interpretation of like that type of thing. Whereas, yes, from an aesthetic, from a physical standpoint, he is deformed and like, you know, uh is struggling with some things and obviously, you know. Uh, isn't quote-unquote leading man material or whatever you want to call it. But, like, 
he opens his mouth and he has an angelic voice and his personality is sweet and soft and humble. And it's like, that should be the same thing you're doing with Kurt. So I, I agree that like it should be a bit more like Disney's Hunchback. But yeah, this line gave me the gave me the squelchies. I'm like, no, let's not. Well, speaking of squelchies, uh, Boo, Bobby, and Rogue. Um, it's never been interesting. I just uh, also Bobby proceeds to just get way more character development and screen time for the rest of the series. I just my issue isn't necessarily with them as a couple specifically. But I do have to recycle the question I just asked you and go, thoughts on the age of Rogue? No, I think Rogue is actually, so I, I, I actually would like Bobby to be older. Because Iceman's an original X-Men, so like, he's actually one of my favorites. I mean, sure. I just don't like his interpretation here. I mean, sure. I don't know where he would fit in terms of like, team makeup. Well, he's the jokester. Is he? Yeah. Huh. In the comics, yeah. He's the immature one who has to like, rise above. If Kurt is the like, you can split Beast Boy in two. If Kurt is like the heart of the team, Iceman is like the is the jokester. Cause okay, I could maybe see that. Cause they don't really have a comic relief. Well, they make Logan the fucking comic relief. Right. Which mm, typically I am a proponent of just make your protagonist funny, but not the way they make people funny. Um, well, it's a problem with it's a it's a problem with the tone of these movies. Yeah, these tone the tone of these movies allow for no one to be comic relief. Well, the comic all relief, it allows for is it, all it allows for is meta. <laughs> yeah, like that's it. Yeah, the comic relief is too meta, especially in a time where like, I mean, this is one of the first few actual like successful comic book franchise movies. So it's like to continuously poke fun at your own shit. Eh, it's kind of like, what are you doing? Um, but point being like you asked about the age of rogue. I think the age of rogue is actually fine. I just think she has no other teenagers except for Bobby and pyro to bounce off of. Like she has those two. And I'm like, if you actually like made Kitty a character earlier uh, like like how they were in X-Men Evolution or you at like if you gave her g- gal friends, I don't think it would be as glaring of an issue. Like because I guess I'm fine with that uh, as long. But then there's ha- there's there's this weird thing of like I'm almost like if you keep Rogue as a teenager and surround her with like Kitty Pride and Colossus and maybe Jubilee because fuck yeah, Jubilee. Right. But like, yeah. If you do that, I'm going to immediately want to spend way more time with them. And then uh, then my question becomes like, but they can't really fight the same fights that like. Yeah, but at least then it's a school. (laughs) The thing about X-Men is it's a school. I mean, I I get that. I'm just I know that the the plot is going to take us away. And we're going to have to like do stuff. We're like, so then you kind of have to shift to the adults now to like actually do the shit. Um, That's why I think the MCU should make it a series with multiple seasons. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't mind that. It would also help to keep it a little tucked away from the mm-hmm. movie. Shite. Correct. What's going on? 
Um, <laughs> Spend more time with people. You could have multiple story arcs happening in the I mean, same season. I think that's season. why the most popular thing, or not maybe not most popular, the most beloved X-Men things typically tend to be the shows. Yeah, I've heard good things about the 90s show, Evolution, which I grew mm-hmm. up with. Wolverine in the X-Men I heard was actually pretty okay. Yeah. Like, yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, we're, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, the whole scene in the foyer with, G- uh, yet again, it's a Gene, a Gene, Scott, and Logan scene. Ugh. The way that she completely just stops looking at Scott and is like, hey, Logan. I'm like, it just makes her feel like a cheater. Like, that's the whole thing. Anyway, moving on. But also, um, it, again, it's like, she, she definitely says to Logan, I love him. I love Scott. And I'm like, do you? Right. Yeah, I don't think you do. It doesn't come across that way. <laughs> it really doesn't. You have way more, like romantic and sexual framing with Logan than Scott and Scott never like does anything romantic or sexual towards Gene. So fuck what the hell screenwriters Uh, on your note about breadcrumbing. Like I also think the like introducing Cerebro and introducing why we can't see more and Scott and uh, Charles going, well, if I wanted to kill him, yes, is a nice breadcrumb for later because then yeah. it, those, those who don't know where the story is going are going to be like, Oh no later. So like, that's good breadcrumbing. Um, skipping to mystique in the CIA, <laughs> uh, like database. Uh, she's going through all these files and she clicks print. And I went, Oh, flash drives hadn't been invented yet. Holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) The problems you solve with a flash drive. She's printing shit out and has to pose as a janitor to get out. Whereas if she had a fucking flash drive, it'd be done and she could leave without any trace of paper. (laughs) You could go back in the print queue and see what just got printed if you were curious. So the problems that that's oh, all. Oh, this scene's really text. Mystique has to send a fax. It's just like, <laughs> oh my god, no. <laughs> uh, so, so like a ton of times through this movie, we get like Wolverine origin shit, and I'm sitting here being like, did they really? Did they already know that they were going to make the Wolverine origins movie? I think they did, um, because they're doing so much. I mean, it's a good, it's a good assumption. It's a good assumption. So I'm kind of like, all right, whatever. Um, again, everyone's wearing a trench coat. Um, like the weird way that they just cameo characters like Lady Deathstrike, like at least when they invade the school and try to like, and try to neutralize all the kids, like having Kitty running through the walls and Siren doing the scream and Colossus, like showing his powers and defending kids and getting people out. Like, at least they make sense. But like Lady Deathstrike is just like, Hey, we need a mutant who would be cool to fight, who can just be mind controlled the entire time by Striker. Who do you want? Lady Deathstrike? Sure. Like it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. I think it's just because they wanted to do the whole, like, oh, it's a female Wolverine. Yeah, and even then, that's just dumb. Um, <laughs> like, so, and also, some of the violence in this movie is a little bit more brutal than I remember. Um, I don't remember what I'm referring to, but... I mean, Wolverine does get to pop off, like... Yeah. Big time. And there's, like, child violence. <laughs> like... Yeah. There's a lot of scenes of, like, kids getting, you know, like, 
tranked. Oh yeah, I think it was. Blank. I think it was the. I think it was the TV blinking kid gets like fucking shot at. Yeah, and I was like, holy fuck! Like that's a lot. Um, the pacing could pick up a little bit more after Xavier is captured and in the facility. Um, Poor Cyclops. Skipping to Bobby's parent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh god. Um, just again, another thing of them just not liking Cyclops. It's like, how do we get Cyclops out of the picture? Uh, we mind control. We take him off the board for most of the movie and then have him show up as mind control fodder so they fight each other. So there's stakes, I guess? Which, I don't know. Oh my, Let's oh go do my, some coke. Oh my, oh my god, Trevor. Which, like, fucking, fuck Lady Deathstrike. How about Cyclops versus Wolverine, then? Right. What what's the point of all this tension then? <laughs> God damn it. And like there's no agency in the mind control, so it's not even like you could get some banter being like, I don't think you want to do this, Scott. No, I think I actually do. Like there's nothing even there. There's nothing you can even do in that based on the way they set this up. Um I love how I said this is the best one. Um <laughs> Oh it is. <laughs> um have you tried not being a mutant? Um, it's probably one of the best lines in the entire trilogy. Um, but also funny because in the late 2000s, they canonically made Bobby gay. So there you go. <laughs> Have you tried not being gay? Um, I love when the full circle, I love when the cops show up and I was like, hmm, cop depictions that are somehow both ahead of their time, but also totally on par for all the time. Uh, with the way that they are just so prepared to literally, they shoot Logan in the fucking head when he moves an inch. Um, and then Pyro lights them the fuck up because how did anyone not see that that kid had problems? Let's be real. The inclusion of a character like Pyro, who is not a popular X-Men uh, Brotherhood character, the inclusion of him in this movie is absolutely in the realm of like the person who wrote this really wanted to have somebody who can use fire. Like, they absolutely went, I don't care how gross he is, I don't care how much he rubs against the story, I don't care, like, what we have to do, I think he's badass, so we're including him, is how Pyro feels. Because Pyro is not relevant to anyone else's story in most comic book lore. I think, in a rare bit of, maybe they kind of knew where they were going with this, I think he's a direct opposite to Bobby. I guess, but even then, that's weak. I mean, it is weak, and you know, and then Last Stand happens, and it's like, oh, huh, we get to capitalize on this shit. Um, right. But... There's a random Dutch angle when the jet arrives. Um, <laughs> plus, I mean, you have to have at least one person go to Brotherhood. I Yeah, sure. I, I wish I'm it was more, quite frankly. I'm not sticking up for the selection of Pyro. I'm just saying that, like... From a storytelling standpoint, it's like, yeah, if, if, yeah, if Brotherhood, like, because this is kind of the Empire. It's kind of the Empire well, what you, of the trilogy. What you do then, though, is you start with all of the characters at Xavier's school, and then, like, Toad and Pyro and Quicksilver defect. Uh, like, that's better. I'm, mm, I don't know enough about, like, the actual comic book character versions to like no i mean for the most part toad has always been a brotherhood never been a never been an ally yeah which, is why, yeah, which is why i wouldn't necessarily put him in the school anyway but i mean if we're going to change other things you might as well just fucking do whatever well, yeah, you want sure. <laughs> um uh how dare you make logan dismissive of kurt when they meet because they are best fucking friends damn it i've seen a lot of shit in the comics that. they are best friends <laughs> 
Like he, they have nicknames for each other. They are best fucking friends. Everyone in the second class of X-Men, Wolverine, Colossus, uh, Kurt, Kitty, and Storm, they are all best friends. They are actually arguably tighter than the original crew. The original crew has a lot of problems with each other, but the second group, they are so tight. They are like, if the seniors have a lot of drama, the juniors are tight. Like, that's who they are. Yeah. And so, like, again, you're fucking with all sorts of dynamics by mixing this stuff that are, like, juicy dynamics. Like, it's interesting to talk about Hank McCoy and, like, Jeans and Warren Worthington's relationship. Like, because they're, like, at odds and went through a lot of hell and a lot of trauma that then the second group, like, Charles got to get it, quote unquote, right with the next group. Like, that's another thing where it's, like, you could go through a whole season of one X team and then they're just, like, we're fucking traumatized and then the next season you start introducing more kids like like there's so much more you can do when you have those dynamics at play um by the time they get to the fight with the jet in the you know with the military jets i was like we're only halfway through the movie um it doesn't feel like they put a lot of thought into costuming and uh i'm literally skipping all the way through like again the interesting thing comes with charles's mind control uh, cause it's part of the original story and then the fights just don't do anything for me. So the only other interesting thing there or the only other thing to talk about for me is like Jean only dies to be revived. Yeah. It's the thing of, it's the thing of like, I've heard actual comic book fans like talk about why the films can't really do Phoenix any justice whatsoever. Right. And even well, just related, yeah. even just relegating it to these two movies so far, it's basically all the same thing for me, too. It's just like, there's not enough time. Yeah, there's no relationships to put a foundation into Phoenix. They couldn't do it then. They couldn't do it even if Phoenix was its own entire movie because Sophie Turner had only been in one other movie. Yeah, they keep brushing this shit. So, like, you need Gene to be around for a long time. Gene needs to be a fan favorite character to even touch dark Phoenix or just Phoenix. Like there's a world in which Jean gets the Phoenix force and is good for a while and is just like a okay. And then the darkness turns. So like, like there's a lot. <laughs> I just had one of the best thoughts I've ever had on this podcast. <laughs> so, so what you're telling me is that you just need to make Darcy Carden, Jean gray. <laughs> Oh, just kill her a bunch of times? No, what? No. I was thinking good place. You no, know, I'm, I'm thinking like to just get somebody super likable, have everyone oh, right. fall in love with her. Immediately. Because, <laughs> yeah, the closest they got to hinting it was at the end of Apocalypse, Gene t- uses more power. And then you go to the next movie, which I barely watched, and... Oh, it's she's out of control. And then they have vague scroll like beings that they can't be scrolls because of the rights. Um, anyway, so like, yeah, the end of this movie is just kind of like, all right, yeah, it it wraps up like a movie. I mean, it's I think because here's the thing. X2 is the best one. And one testament to this is that I think they. Execution wise. For just this scene of Gene's sacrifice, they do a really good job. 
they milk that emotion and they do it really well. And the actors are going for it and they're really trying. The problem is literally the rest of the beginning of this movie and the last movie is not enough. <laughs> so like, well, and again, you made the choice to choose the characters you wanted to start with. And that choice didn't pan out long term. So like, yeah, you can't really get any of the relationships that you want to get because you're just focused on Logan's reaction to everything and Bobby and Rogue's relationship and Charles and Magneto's relationship, which arguably isn't even as fleshed out as it is in the reboots. No. So... So even then, what are you sacrificing it for? Why are you sacrificing the relationship of the X-Men team for these other things? <sighs> but to its credit, this one's story that it's based on is just the most solid story. Yeah. It's just a solid ass story of there's someone who hates mutants more than anyone else. And they found a way to use the spiritual leader to break him and use his power against the world. Like, and it's all in the name of like human salvation. And so, like, it, it is, it is one of the best stories. Cause that story's happened a bunch of times. There's been a bunch of stories where like, instead of being conniving, they were outright like hate groups. Um, like there's plenty of stories revolving around hate groups and X-Men, but this one is just like, just a little bit better constructed. And you also have the thing of Logan having to kind of drop his loner shit to actually care about the team. And it right. ties into the same person that's doing all the other shit. So it's like, it's nice and neat and tidy. And like everything all converges to a single point. Like Stryker is a good choice of villain. And then they use him two other times to to poor effect. Um in origins and he's a background in, in days of each past. Uh, but yeah, so like striker is a good villain for the X-Men. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if they did a better version of this story in the MCU. Cause I think it's just one of those stories that like really encapsulates the kind of struggle that the mutants have to go through. Hmm. <sighs> Let's do it. Okay. Um, X3. Uh, the introduction of Angel with, like, sawing off his wings is fucking brutal. Um, I don't know why we started there for a movie that is going to be the silliest out of all of them. Uh, it's just immediately worse. It's just immediately yeah. worse than the other two. It's like, it's like somehow being, like, it's gory and edgy, but also so... Like, it's like if you gave your perverted cousin the two the keys to the, like, the keys to the car. You know? It's like the guy who's just, like, likes Family Guy a little too much got the keys to the car. Am okay. I making sense? Does okay. that feel accurate? Uh, sure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, like, he likes Rick and Morty just a little too much. But he doesn't actually have talent for humor. And he's so getting, he's just where, regurgitating. Where's he driving the car? I don't care. Where's he taking it? He's driving it. He's driving it too fast to go get the one pint of vanilla ice cream your aunt asked him to get. <laughs> and he's not just going to the like the fucking gas station around the corner. Yeah, he's gonna he's try going- to do donuts and he's gonna fail. Um, <laughs> uh, poor Anna Paquin. We all. We all. Yeah. 
What, what are you referring to? Just I just mean in general. Just the whole movie. <laughs> this whole movie. This whole movie. Poor Anna Paquin. She is the. She is the OG member of this franchise and she is getting sidelined yeah so hard so okay cool i have i'm gonna go back to the beginning because there's some very specific moments i want to make fun of but like a she has this strained relationship with bobby and bobby like reasonably says wait what did i do i've never pushed you to be like physical with me i want to be with you even though we can't be I've never pushed you there. And then their justification to undermine that is Anna Paquin saying, oh, you're a boy, Bobby. Your mind's only on one thing. It's like she is she is. First of all, boo. And second of all, she's the one placing that on him. He never actually does that. She's the one who is like assuming he's like that. So I'm like, that's dumb. Okay, it's very much Um, displaced anger. Yeah. And then there's the there's the constant meme uh from the internet which is like there's a cure i would like to go get cure cure and then storm goes there's nothing to cure said rain girl to death hands like (laughs) it's like yeah some people that's the meme that's been on the internet ever since this movie came out which is like yeah some people might want to get rid of it maybe maybe it's actually gonna make some people's lives a little bit easier like you're right. Magneto's correct in that they will weaponize it against you. But maybe we can let Death Hands do it if it's not going to hurt her. Yeah. Maybe. It's, it's literally just a thing of like this film cannot help itself by making this a binary thing of like you're either with us or against us. It's yes or no. Stop or go. But it's like, no, some people should be able to like rightfully kind of fix some things that are making their lives harder with this is the thing they didn't ask for that they were born with. And if they can fix it, sure. Great. Their lives are going to get better for some people. That should be their choice to do that. And I think just the most common sense fix for this, just like just give the quote unquote cure to mutants to control for them to be like, you know, Hey, we get control of this because it only affects us and we will give it to people that like are, you know, potentially dangerous or they, you know, are like beast and like they literally can't go anywhere because like they look fucking different from everybody. Like we'll control it. Fine. Let us regulate it then. Yeah. So it's like the ESRB with the, the fucking video games. Just like, let us regulate this shit then. Well, while I am not one for corporate self-regulation, I want to yes, make no. that clear. Yeah, I want to make um, that clear too. <laughs> <laughs> this is a human rights issue, not a corporation self-regulation. So back off, libertarians. Um, but so what's interesting is that like they're kind of doing that right now in the comics. What they've done, there's been time and time again, like there's been time, there's been at least four instances of an island in the Pacific or the Atlantic that is a mutant stronghold, like that is a mutant savior, the mutant nation. And then it always goes through the cycle of being destroyed by somebody. Um, that it all, that always happens. They're always finding a new place in the comics because that's the constant story. But they did something really interesting with this one in that like, the writers really spent a lot of time 
building a really sophisticated society that we see in the comics with its own like laws and like processes for like they basically found a way to use some people's powers to where if mutants die they can just revive them and like they have a council that is equal parts like some of the villains are on it some of the heroes are on it um some of the older people some of the younger people like they have like this government established and one of the big things is that like they are externally providing something to the world so that people leave them alone and have a reason to trade with them. And then internally, they're like, if a mutant commits a crime in your country, you must, uh, you must, um, ex- uh, extradite them to us and we will take care of them. And they do that with Sabretooth. He's the first one they do it with is then they send him to like the depths of the, of the island to be imprisoned forever. Um, like that's his punishment. So like, yeah, the, the point is that like, your idea is now being done and it's hella interesting in the comics to see what happens when mutants can go, all right, well, we actually have the upper hand here. We'll take care of our own affairs and make sure you're good. And this should be fine. And it takes another other interesting thing to come into play for that to be disrupted. So like, yeah, you're totally right. That's the way to do it. Yeah. This Hollywood just loves the whole us versus them binary there's always been gray in x-men except when she dies but um um i'm mad as hell they waited three movies to give scott something to do and then killed him (laughs) yep yep um but also like through a weird like she kisses him and then his face explodes thing like Let's talk about, can I, can I do a few early things and then we'll talk about that? Sure. Okay. They're in the danger room. And then literally the cheesiest fucking thing is that like Logan is the only person who is acting as if this is not actual danger. Uh, cause it's all simulation and they literally do a cool guys. Don't look at explosions moment. Like literally they have Logan facing the camera and an explosion happening behind him. And he has a cigar in his fucking mouth. I may, he, I might be. Mandela affecting a cigar into his mouth. No. But you get my point. No, there was a cigar. <laughs> and then they do they do a half-assed fastball special, which is where Colossus throws Wolverine. But it only works when Wolverine is small. Wolverine's too tall. Hugh Jackman's too tall. Um I when they talk to the doctor in over like video chat about the mutant cure, uh they say it's Moira McTaggart, which is who Rose Byrne plays in the in the soft reboot. Yep. And I just looked at that actor and I went, Brian Singer, you just looked at headshots of pretty women and went, who can do a British Brett accent? Ratner. That one. Brett Ratner just looked at supermodel actors and went, who can do a British accent? Okay, you're hot and you look and you can do British. Go be Moira McTaggart. And I'm like, you like literally looking at that, I'm like, that casting is absolutely based on how this woman looks and that's really annoying because it just it's like the it's the fluffification it's the supermodelification of not to say the supermodels can't act it's the fluffification of if you have to have somebody in the background they have to be stunningly beautiful like i was like this is gross this is actually off-putting and tonally wrong for where we've been when so yeah so you're talking about so we're now okay now that that's out of the way yes gene's powers make no sense in this movie uh there's no fire for Phoenix. There's no even red energy. It's just vague 
ooh, she kind of has the death touch now, but only when she wants to, and also her eyes are red, and there's energy around her, but not really, and she's super powerfully telepathic, and she can talk to people all over the world, and I'm just like, there's nothing... There's no foundation to stand on. Because we don't understand her powers innately to know that there's a difference. All we're seeing is stuff that is vaguely creepy. Uh, Also, I wanted to slightly backtrack and just highlight what I thought was a really good line when Logan and Scott are interacting before he dies unceremoniously. Are you talking about the meh? Basically. Uh, the last line Scott will ever say to Logan is, not everyone heals as fast as you, Logan. And I was like, that's actually, that's yeah, okay, that line. was good. Yeah, that's actually a good line. Save that for a reboot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to know what's a terrible line is is uh, them finding Jean, bringing her back. And I think it's Charles who says, Jean's back. And uh, and. Storm says, how? And he goes, I don't know. And I'm like, yeah, because there's literally no reason. <laughs> there's no reason for Jean to be back. They say, like, her powers wrapped her in a cocoon of telepathic energy. And I just put a puking emoji. Um, uh, it doesn't, there's no reason. Also, uh, when they arrive on the scene and Storm clears the fog, like, Logan finds Scott's glasses and understandably has the yeah, uh-oh face. and no one cares. No one cares that Scott's dead. No one in this movie cares that Scott's dead. No one. They don't even think that he might be dead until Gene's already home. No one cares that Scott is dead in this movie. Which should tell you everything you need to know about these movies. Like, literally, I just have this image in my head of, like, Logan, like, taking the glasses out of thin air, like, huh, that's weird. Doesn't he need these to, like, live? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And, and then Storm... If he doesn't have them, he's either dead or and, destroying something. And then Storm goes, hey, Logan, Gene's alive. And he goes, Gene, and just throws the glasses Gene? down on the ground, stomps them on the way to, like, run over. And he's like, oh, shit, Stay hell fucking yeah. fucking dead. <laughs> Fuck yeah, Gene's alive? Fuck, and I, I, I got a shot now. <laughs> Fucking A. But back to Jean. Disassociation of identity disorder <laughs> is so uninteresting compared to the actual potential of the Phoenix story. Like, the fact that they didn't want to do a real examination of what it could be and instead essentially wrote, like, they're like, well, when I met Jean, she was actually psychotic. So I put that mind in a box. And then I brought this nice Jean out. And now she has disassociative di- identity disorder. I'm like, that is that is so uninteresting and ableist compared to what the actual and Dark Phoenix storyline is. it just makes... And it makes Xavier way worse. Yeah, and like he doesn't have to be perfect. In the movie where But we spent the entire time... Yeah, we spent the entire time of all these movies looking at this through Xavier, the lens of Xavier's idealized dream. And so, like, the way that we muddy his legacy, but then also don't, like, it's a big deal and everyone's sad when he, like, sad when he dies because he did a lot. But also it's like, 
it, I don't feel any of the nuance. It's just, oh, he did a bad thing. And suddenly this character is just left field, very different. He had no shades of gray up until that point, And then he's in left field. Like, I feel like, isn't just the easiest way to fix this to be like, why it, it could have just been Gene's idea to do it or right. Like Gene, like as like a smaller child, like comes to him at the mansion one time. She's like, I can't control it anymore. I need help. She's like crying. And Charles is like, I'll see what I can do. And that's like, yeah, sure. Like, okay. And then you can just position the Phoenix as like the worst parts of this still kind of doesn't work though like it still kind of doesn't work because i caught that hint at the end of the first x-men in that like it's magneto's machine that kickstarts the thing that but like i still don't like that i don't think they've really ever come up with a thing that makes me like buy the whole like Gene turns into this Phoenix persona. Like, I could maybe, 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 maybe buy that if you stick with Gene from, like, you know, a young age, and then once she starts to, like, mature, mature into, like, a young adult, and, like, she starts to really harness the control of her powers, she selectively taps into the Phoenix energy well without calling it the phoenix energy she starts tapping into the true depths of her powers but at a cost of like it burns her out it's a lot it's like basically the avatar state and it's just like wow i can only do that selectively and then as she gets older it's a thing of like she gets more control over it but then she starts to lose herself that's the only way that i could see them doing this without the I mean, admittedly weird comic book thing of like, they go to space and it's the Phoenix. I mean, that's actually what happens. And here's the thing. It's actually easier to do that in the MCU. Like there can be a crossover event where Gene is one of the X-Men in it and they go to space and the Phoenix energy finds her because she's a really powerful telepath and it wants her. Like that's how it happened. I mean, Um, for me, having never read the Phoenix saga... I guess you can take my opinion with a big, huge grain of salt. But I don't know. I just have never really been super interested in that concept. Yeah, I mean, I think there's time to put it down. I think I think people should not reattempt it until it's, uh, uh, like, literally attempt anything else first. And if we like Gene, then do it. Like, that's that's how you do it. Like, that's the, that's the way you do it. If we like her, after all the other things we've been through, you can do Actually, that. after... All the shit with Wanda, don't do it. Yeah, actually, also that too. Yeah. Let's just... That also makes let's sense. Let's just have badass, super powerful Jean and just not put her down like Old Yeller. Yeah. yeah, and she's revived in the current comics and doesn't have the Phoenix Force as far as I know. So like, yeah, there you go. It's fine. Cool. Um, she can be cool. We've uh, made the decision for you, I don't you, think Marvel. that... <laughs> Congratulations. Um, you're going to lose money actually on that decision because people are, well, because this is the thing, you know, when they start doing that, they're going to be like, when are they going to do Phoenix? When are they going to do it? Where's Matt Murdock? Um, anyway, uh, and then you got him and you didn't like him. You idiots. Uh, anyway, uh, I don't think Magneto would be so terrible as to turn his back on Mystique when she isn't a mutant anymore. Yeah. So, okay. Like, yeah, he is so, uh, so first off. 
a mobile transport for Mystique and others with metal cars and metal cages. Yeah, right. Aurora Borealis at this time of day. <laughs> um, fuck, I, oh, that you don't watch this fucking Simpsons. God damn it. So good. Anyway, uh, yeah, it feels way out of character, way out of character for Magneto to leave her in general. But then right after she gave him all the info he needed when nobody else could. And also after she saved his fucking life. Yeah. Really? Like, couldn't you just be like, we're going to uncure you? Like, the least you could do is be like, you know, Mystique's would still be like, I can still help in my own way. And Magneto's like, no, no, you are sidelined. We will figure this out, but I'm going to take and then you she out wouldn't the game. Betray him. Huh? Like when she betrays them, when she betrays them by going to the government, I'm like, you both turned your backs on your main ally real quick. And also it, it means nothing. Right. That scene could be cut. Yeah, you just like be like, oh, by the way, the Juggernaut and uh, Multiple Man are here. No, I mean like the scene where Mystique basically rats on Magneto. Oh, yeah. It leads to nothing. Yeah, because true, like they should have figured out to not use metal guns a long time ago. But also, <laughs> she basically is the only reason they find their camp, but the camp's already deserted. Yeah, so yeah, you're right. It leads to nothing. I, I, you... Screenwriting. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> um, the gross, like, almost sex scene just feels like a fantasy playing out for the writer. Where she's like, I want you. Which one is that again? This is gross. Gene and Logan. That happens again in this movie? Yep. Really? Okay. Because uh, this is a thing I didn't bring up for X2. Like, I could do without the sexual assault. Yep. I could do, I could do without it. Um, not really sure why it's there. What's up? Uh, where the, where the, where the, where the hell are we now? Um, uh, I think that it, honestly, both Magneto and Charles deserve to die with how they're speaking to her in the house. Um, cause Charles is literally looking at it being like, Gene, you'd be a good little girl. And Migo's, Magneto's basically being like, you're an atomic bomb and I want you. Like they both deserve to die, which is a good platform for me to say why there should be justice for Cyclops. Because that's one of the appeals of having Cyclops actually matter and having their relationship actually matter is because there's at least one person then who can look to her and say, I don't care about what their agendas are. I don't care if you find a way to use this power infinitely or you, or, you know, or you bottle it up. I just want you to be okay. And there is no character who does that. Wolverine never gets a chance to do that, is just weirded out by how sexual she is, and has no real relationship that deep with her to like reach that hand out. Like later, he's like, don't do it. It's like, no, no, there's some, there's a world in which you need a third character in that, in that conflict. Because at the end of the day, the reason that you need to make Scott Summers a focus in the new X-Men movies is because Scott Summers is the true leader of the mutants. 
there has been a lot of great work that like Xavier and Magneto did in various different ways to get mutants to where they needed to be. But Scott was the soldier, the leader, the, 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 you know, the commander in chief under Xavier for his entire life in all the failures of his predecessors, constantly seeing his friends die beside him for a mission that he cared about, being let down by mentor after mentor after mentor until finally about 10 years ago, 20, 15 years ago in the comics, Scott just said, fuck it. We're going to be on our own. I don't like you're looking towards the past and the future. I'm trying to be here in the present and defend my people. And so I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that mutants aren't just fucking dying in service of two people's di- like black and white vision of what our relationship with humans is going to be. I don't care what our relationship with humans is going to be. I just want to take care of my people. And that's who Scott Summers actually is. And that's what I want to see out of an MCU story. And it's exactly clear here where it's like, by actually getting rid of Scott and not having any relationship in the previous movies, you actually ruined a bridge of conflict and emotional stakes in this movie. Also... They technically maybe could have done something along those lines with Storm, but Storm is like an absolute blank canvas. Yeah, right. To be fair, this is this movie is the closest that she gets to like, I mean, I think it gets increasingly better of like, they give her slightly more stuff, but it's not enough. Yeah, like what they give her is like, well, you're clearly going to be the new headmaster when I die. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Like, that's what they do. <laughs> that's what they so do. So clear out it. your schedule. I'm gonna die. <laughs> BRB, gonna go die real quick. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, one of the best parts of this episode is just us doing <laughs> Charles Xavier. <laughs> Honestly. Honest Charles Xavier. Um, <laughs> he also, Patrick Stewart does a weird fucking face when he's about to explode. He has this weird, like, grimacy smile. Is like his head turns and then he and then he gets disintegrated. I think, and I'm like, it's weird. I think Xavier's face looks more bad than good in this whole movie, right? <laughs> like literally, fucking philosopher's stone Harry Potter has better effects than the beginning of this movie with the de aging. Yeah, I and I just and Beast looks great. Yeah, it's practical. And it's just like, so, and Nightcrawler looks great, and Mystique has looked great from since day one in 2000. So it's like, I know you can do effects. <laughs> I I know, I know you can, so, eh. And like, not... Many of us will be able to probably tell offhand or have actually seen it, but like fucking Patrick Stewart has been acting for like a couple decades. Some of us know yeah. he looks like young. Like <laughs> he doesn't yeah. look like that. And also he doesn't he's aged very gracefully. So we probably all would have been fine with you just letting them be old guys still. The difference in time is maybe ten years in their timeline and they both pretty much look the same right now as they both did 10 years ago so (laughs) like i truly think that they probably aged patrick stewart up for logan (laughs) to make him look older (laughs) because he's just a healthy fucking guy um 
Anyway. It also uh, it also feels <laughs> wrong that um in keeping with what we were saying earlier, it definitely feels out of character for Magneto to see his best friend die and then go to the woman responsible and go, "All right, you're coming with me." What? Yeah. What? Well, because she just becomes Crazy girl on a leash. Uh, are you saying Th- she's a freak on a leash? Yes. She's got no release. How dare you? Something takes a part <laughs> of her. Um, yeah, no, she's she's just she's just his dog on a leash for the rest of the movie until he's out of the picture, and then she's a villain. Like literally, when he's for presiding over the camp, until he's until he's cured, quote unquote cured. And then she gets, and then she loses control. Hold on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna time this in real time. Brb. Uh. <laughs> I'm, I'm legitimately, <laughs> I'm, I'm legitimately just gonna go, go get this real quick. <laughs> you, if you, do, you, do you have, do you have other things? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't understand why they had Elliot Page look so emo. Like, it's quite literally the opposite of who Kitty is. Kitty, I mean, Kid, the, one of the one of the best characterizations of Kitty is from X-Men Evolution as the preppy one. I mean, you're never going to hear me complain. <laughs> right. Um, Very biased. Obligatory 2000s funeral movie uh, or funeral in a superhero movie. Um you know, why the fuck is Colossus just carrying a fucking TV in the hallway of the X-Mansion? He's just fucking carrying a TV around. <laughs> oh my god. This is literally less than five minutes? It's literally less than five minutes! What do you mean? Jean Grey gets to be the actual villain of this movie for less than five minutes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. She just becomes uh, an explosion of energy and fury. Ugh, get Hugh Jackman's weeping face out of my face. Yeah, it's it's not fun. It's not fun for him to hold the woman he loves and cry. Um, I no, I reject this Ted Mosbyification of love. Um, right? No, this man does not love Jean Grey. <laughs> yeah, and there's a and you know what's gonna happen. It's not. It's not. It's not setting up anticipation. Once they move the bridge over, and then the X Men get there, Storm goes, "Are you prepared to do what you have to do?" And it's like, cool, so he's, so he's going to kill her. So he has to kill her. Which I hate. Fine. Yeah, that's stupid. I, just, I hate the whole climax because it's just a bunch of mutants killing a bunch of mutants. Right? For what? Literally, Angel, my, like, one of my last notes is, like, there's really literally no reason for Angel to forgive his dad. His dad gets thrown out a window, and there is no reason... For Angel to catch him. Damn. <laughs> they have no real relationship. He's, okay. They have no real relationship, and he created a cure to get rid of something that he didn't want to get rid of. Why are you saving your father? I mean, you your can father still is a criminal against your die. <laughs> Sure. But then have a scene where you put him down and go, you sit the fuck right there. And being like, thank you, son. You you're one of the good ones. You'd be like, no, 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 I'm just a mutant. Like, there's there's potential there. Yeah. But that's not what they do. No. They do the whole the president is the protagonist like they did at the top of X2 where it's like we can't have an innocent quote unquote innocent person die when they're they're obviously not innocent so like that's stupid um uh there's a point in the bridge uh thing where they have a bunch of kids the concept of 
televisions in cars was very new at the time. Uh, like TV screens on the back of your parents' seats in the driver and passenger side. And they're playing a GameCube in the car. Hell yeah. And I just think that that's a, a really interesting uh, snapshot of the time that this was made in. The GameCube deserved better. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that's it that's me i'm done actually that is that is the end of my notes um and like honestly it's just it's just like another case of like when you when you make this again we are obviously going to be incorporating a new version especially if the rumors are true about denzel and giancarlo like it's going to be a new interpretation of the struggle, but you need to focus on the students. For the love of God, you need to focus on Scott and Jean. I don't care like how you cast them, if you cast them true to the white characters they started as. I don't even care if you if you keep them white or change that. You you have to focus on them because you haven't. You've had kids like students be collateral damage in this fight between these two mentor characters in a way that is about the mentors and not the collateral damage kids. And there's so many rich stories about the X-Men going through the trauma of being mutants and struggling through this on top of the civil rights parallels on top of the, you know, finding a place for yourself parallels. Like you have to do that in the reboot. And the, basically the last thing I have to say about this movie is just like, these are two storylines that deserved movies on their own putting them together yeah. was too much but also the thing about it is that like here's why this is different than x2 x2 was a really good mutants against the outside world plot this is another mutants against the outside world plot and it does feel like that is a resting point in x-men comics like they come back to a version of that plot point in between bigger, more creative plots. And so like, I almost don't want the cure to be a movie. Cause like, again, it should be a TV show, but like the cure itself, I wouldn't watch that movie unless there was something else that I was interested in going on. Like if that is the main antagonist, I'd kind of be bored with it. Because I think if you finagle it, if you're really clever about certain things, you could kind of just take the cure and kind of drop it into two if you're smart. Yeah, true. It, it plays probably a little bit more of a background role, but it's like, if we can't kill you, we're going to cure you. Like, you could just have Stryker be all up in that. Like, just... Yeah, and that's his thing instead of the Cerebro thing. All right. It also doesn't, like, do the thing where you drug Magneto, and it's like, okay, but, like, aww. <laughs> and then oh, we have man. to go through the entire thing of Mystique. I guess, I think she injects metal into his bloodstream, but oh, I do what, it, what it looked like it was going to be was that she was going to butt plug him. Um, Is what I thought it was going to, that's what I thought was going to happen. I thought she was going to shove it up his butt. I mean, you did love everything everywhere all at once, so that Oh, <laughs> uh, so all in all, we got more to cover, motherfucker. <laughs> all in all, like 
these movies aren't great and they aren't perfect, but I mean, two has its moments and it has things about it that like are good. And it's the closest it gets to probably being like just an overall good movie. And the first one isn't terrible, but it has basic fundamental issues with it. And then the third one is just trash. Yeah. And it's going to be such an odd thing to go from this into the reboot because like I'll say this now I think X-Men First Class is one of the better superhero movies period and then like it just becomes a cavalcade of the big X-Men events in a way that's like a little bit misguided because like we said the plot of X2 is probably the better plot it's probably the more emotionally grounded plot than introduce apocalypse. The super powerful, we don't really want to touch on what his powers are, but super powerful ancient mutant. He's the big bad. Like it's almost misguided to try to tackle things like that in one movie. Um, like age of apocalypse on the event scale really sh- could, could be an end game level movie. Of like, he wins, and then we flash to the future. Like, there's a lot going on in these in this reboot trilogy, saying right now we're not going to watch Dark Phoenix, um, that is like complicated and ambitious and doesn't hit the mark. And so it's one thing to look at these as like the early 2000s interpretation of a, a loose understanding of what the X-Men are versus like really trying to do the big hits and it not kind of panning out the way you want it to. So, like, where does that leave us in the middle? Yep. I'm tired. Yeah, no, that was a lot of energy. <laughs> I... We should also note that TJ marathoned these movies today. Yes. <laughs> I... <laughs> this we never acknowledged last... that. This was a last-minute decision that we were going to record this today. Uh, so... <laughs> I shotgun these motherfuckers. <laughs> and they were like easy to do. You will not be able to do that with the sequels. I could maybe do it with two. Just the same thing. It's the same thing. Yeah. It's the same thing yeah. of like the first two are probably fine. And then you get to the third one. It's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> it's the worm at the end of the tequila. Um, you want to talk to us in detail about that, TJ? Which is funny because I'm straight edge. So me referencing yep. alcohol <laughs> things is like. Wait, what did you just say? We took our metaphor from a text message that I said, so. I was clearly referencing tequila. (laughs) Nah, I don't believe you. Clearly! You don't know what tequila tastes like. You've never been tequila drunk, and that's okay. Um, Yes, but I've listened to George Lopez stand up. (laughs) <laughs> which is they, which is uh, honestly where I know about the fucking worm because otherwise I wouldn't have fucking known that shit <laughs> all I'll say is that like we're gonna get a week with less Hugh Jackman and then a week of too much Hugh Jackman and I for one am not sure which one I'm looking forward to more I oh my god I literally almost did the his name is Mike <laughs> <laughs> I don't give a fuck. His name is Mike. <laughs> I don't. I. I'm so over Hugh Jackman Wolverine. Everyone is Me so too. excited about Deadpool three, and I'm like, uh, no, no. 
You promised. I do like. You said we were done. I do think that the concept of it, what it has to be, it has to be weighed at the end. Like it has to be weighed at the end of his second movie, fucking with the timeline, and then getting a convergence event into the MCU. It has to be. So he has to then take younger Wolverine and be like, all right, here we go. And then I hope he dies halfway through like they did with X-Force in the second one. I hope it's like they introduced all those characters and they killed them immediately. I hope that is exactly what they do. Because like, that would be that would be the Deadpool thing to do, which is like, I finally get to live out my dream of being with Hugh Jackman because I'm Ryan Reynolds. And then he fucking dies halfway through. And I'd be like, perfect, great, totally fine with me. Let it die. You promised. <laughs> you made a whole fucking Western about how this was the last goddamned time. <laughs> yeah, it's the... It's the because the thing is that like with Marvel right now, the project I the projects I like the most are not the ones that are fan servicing, with the exception of uh, No Way Home. Like No Way Home did fan service in a way that like was ambitiously pulled off. But like Multiverse of Madness, no thank you. Uh, you know Thor: Love and Thunder, no thank you. Uh, like I really like Eternals, brand new. I really like She Hulk, doing a really great job. Uh, I really like WandaVision, uh, didn't do Mephisto like everybody wanted to, uh, you know, there's a lot of fan service going around and I, I for one am not enjoying it. What about Miss Marvel? You, you conveniently left out Miss Marvel and Hawkeye. Miss Marvel, Miss Marvel doesn't have any fan service. Um, but do you like Miss Marvel? Oh yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> I think that they like, couldn't quite decide what they wanted to do about her origin, but I'm, I like I like uh, Iman Vellani's characterization, and I think it's only going to get better. So, and did you like Hawkeye? Yeah. Or do you want me to go through everything? Because I'll go through everything. I thought no. I thought it sounded like you were going through everything, and then left some pretty big gaps. No, so no, no, I no, like- no, no, no. <laughs> I my my train started slowing probably with Hawkeye, and then yeah. Moon Knight was was good, but like oh, didn't yeah. blow my mind. And then multiverse started the train. The multiverse started the train of maybe this is not, maybe this is not phase three again. Like maybe this is not going to have the perfect thing all the time. Um, like our streak is not going to sustain itself indefinitely. And then we got Black Panther and we'll see. I wish I cared about Shuri. I know, and they very much, like, exposed, like, the marketing very much was like, oh, by the way, you know how we, like, left it a mystery? It's fucking Shuri. And I'm like, great, thanks. <laughs> I would have preferred, I would have preferred to have found out in the movie and been disappointed in the movie than get disappointed well before I even show up. I really do, I, sincerely, I would really wish I could care about Shuri. I really do. It's gonna be really sad. Yeah. But I mean, maybe they'll do Namor justice. I think they will. And also, like, you know, I, I get a lot of faith in the fact that Lupita told told people at, uh, you know, at whatever. I think it was D23 that they no, not D23. What was before that? Um, I think it was San Diego Comic-Con where they deb- debuted the trailer uh, that she told reporters afterwards. That's like, yeah, on the call sheet of who was called that day, the number one spot was always blank. Because the number one call was always Chadwick Boseman. Um, so, like, I think that there's a degree of reverence to what he did. 
being put in that movie. And it's cue the sound effect corporate fuckery as to why someone will take up the mantle of Black Panther. I mean, there's also people that very understandably are like, we've waited too fucking long to have Black Panther be just as important as everybody else for you to go, oh, well, this beloved actor died, so I guess we just won't have Black Panther anymore. No! Right. (laughs) So, Like, the role that Wakanda plays in the universe and in culture right now is important. So, it just is like, but Letitia Wright, can she really lead it? I don't think she has the chops to lead it. I don't. I, it's nothing to do with that. It is everything to do with the anti-vax bullshit. Yeah, yeah. I just... Fuck. But even then, I think that focusing on Denai Guerrera or Lupita as a like a screen presence is bigger to me. And maybe she'll surprise me. I don't know. We've talked about a lot of things beyond this at the end of this episode. <laughs> I mean, we had to like... We had to like feed ourselves. We had to come <laughs> <a> down. <laughs> <laughs> After it was like it was like the X Men were the fucking like we ate our fucking vegetables. Give me the cupcake. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would argue that for a lot of people, the X Men is the cupcake. It's just that these movies are like they're not great. They're not great movies or X Men ad- adaptations. I would love to talk about the cartoons. <laughs> I would love to talk about I think about- that should just be the if we ever had like a a if our intro was ever a series of clips I would just love for that to be one of yours just I would like to talk about the cartoons please <laughs> More cartoons <laughs> Uh god any excuse to talk about evolution any excuse to I mean because like yeah when we were talking about Kurt I was basically thinking about right evolution <laughs> And, and Rogue from Evolution. Oh my! F- okay, let, let, and let's... Scott from Evolution. I need to not talk about Rogue from Evolution. I, um, is this like a? Is this like an erection thing or like a? This is it. This is a thing of like. It's similar to like Roxanne from Goofy Movie, where like years later, I was like, oh, <laughs> so that oh origins. Ah, and then when I look at Rogue, it's more of a thing of like same thing with Raven from Teen Titans of like, see, this is where it started. <laughs> <laughs> this is where that shit got started. Okay, <laughs> but also I think that is just like, if you're gonna do Teen Rogue, Evolution's Rogue, I feel like is Teen Rogue. This kind of in-between of, like, kind of a southern accent, kind of not a southern accent, being all doughy-eyed over Logan versus having a rebellious streak. It's just, the in-between is, eh, eh, eh. Just have her call somebody darling. Justice for Rogue, (laughs) justice for Scott, justice for Iceman, quite frankly. Um, Uh, Oh, uh... Uh, would you like to go on record for your thoughts about Kiki Palmer's Rogue? Oh, I mean, I just beyond I like it. Um, but people are buzzing about it on TikTok, and I actually think that's she's got a really great kind of personality for that. And it's it's more the rebellious side of things. I don't see her as goth because I think that's an invention of the two thousands. Oh um, yeah, no, I think you do one yeah. or the other. You either do goth rogue or you do like southern like 
sassy yeah. rogue. Like Daisy Duke's rogue. Yeah. Which honestly, I think after what we've seen, that's the only choice. Like, I don't think you can do goth rogue the today. I think you have to do Daisy Duke's rogue. I would like to see them try. Me too. I would I turned into Monique from that from that meme. I would like to see it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious as to another creator's take on it. No other reason. <laughs> <laughs> and you didn't even like that movie. This has just become a bunch of TikTok references. <laughs> okay. I've made way more <laughs> issues for me as an editor yep. than I needed to. Uh <laughs> So, I've, this month, this month is going to be trying. This month is going to, we didn't, we haven't even discussed what we're doing yet. We're, so we're doing first class next? Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Well, at least we get to start off with a, with a cupcake. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, it is a little, Eh, I mean, it's a racist cupcake. And but. and really just a shame for Oscar, Oscar Isaac, because like, I would think we forget that he was the one who had to do that. I mean, Oscar Isaac's been through the franchise blender at this point. Yeah. <laughs> um, God. Oh, boy. OK, I'm going to save. I'm going to save my I'm going to save my shit. For next yeah, week. good. So. <laughs> November. There's no song for November. They're like, oh no, November Pass rain. The cranberry um, sauce. We're having mashed potatoes. And on that note, uh, <laughs> uh, hi. Uh, I've been TJ Patrick. I'm Trevor Catalano. But no, I'm really Mystique. Haha. I wish I had a better thing to do. <laughs> now that's it. Bye. <laughs>